A special announcement before we get started. Enrollment to Mind Over ARE is officially open. We only open a couple times a year and it is currently open. So you can head over to the website dci.beyoungdesign.com slash mind dash over dash ARE. This is my signature program where you learn the four essential pillars that you need to pass the ARE. I literally give you a proven blueprint to becoming a licensed architect. But here's the thing. The enrollment period is literally only a couple days. So if you're listening to this, the doors are still open. Go get in right now while you can. Come join me. We already are starting to see incredible people come in, and I cannot wait to get started. Okay, let's start the show. Welcome to Design, Create, Inspire with me, Bryn Young. I'm an entrepreneur and designer specializing in residential and sustainable design. My background is in interior design and architecture, but also entrepreneurship and small business management. I have been running a successful award-winning design firm for over six years, and I'm here to discuss all things design and business. There are over 1 million podcasts to choose from right now, so thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. I hope to bring you value with every episode I create, so let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Design, Create, Inspire. Today, I want to talk to you all about the design process. What does it look like to work with a professional designer or architect? Uh, I'm going to take you through basically the typical phases of a project and what each phase entails. So this is helpful for basically anyone who's looking to work with an architect or a design professional, but maybe not sure what really to expect. Um, it's also helpful for budding architects to get an idea of what the process of design actually looks like. It might even be helpful for someone studying for their architecture exams, because this definitely is information that will come up on those exams. And uh, it's just a good idea to have an idea of what our roles and responsibilities are and um, what the client's roles and responsibilities are and whatnot. So I'm basically going to go through the five phases of design. Um, I probably won't get, um, you know, like too deep into it just because it probably would make a very long episode, but I'm going to try to kind of scratch the surface. And then, you know, if there's anything that I didn't go over or anything you guys had questions with, we can, you know, go over that afterwards, or I can always do a follow-up podcast. So design is a process. Getting from the initial scope of work to what you see as a final building or a final product, it's a synthesis of ideas, mistakes, trials, and errors, um, you know, oftentimes what you see as the final design is a lot less sexy than what people think of how we got to that design. So, you know, if you see a beautiful building, you may think that the design just appeared in the architect's mind, they sketched it, it worked, you know, birds were chirping and everything worked out well. But more often than not, design that you see is dictated by a lot of parameters. Um, there's a lot of things that influence the design, such as the client, the budget, uh, maybe the schedule, 
the program. So, so basically, um, like the problem that the architecture is trying to solve the site. So what, what kind of site constraints there are, maybe views or hillsides or drainage patterns, um, the context, even the community, what's surrounding it. And with that, the community is also uh, community boards. So there may be even restrictions on what designs you can do or you cannot do. Um, even, you know, and with that, like the client's own aesthetic, they may not love a design aspect that you had originally put in place. And then there's also tons of regulations like building codes, zoning codes, energy codes, uh, wildlife parameters. Um, I was recently talking to an architect who specced a large glass garage door and because of the uh, wildlife, they were not allowed to do it. So a lot of times the final product of what you see is, yes, creativity and, um, you know, little sparks of geniuses here and there, but there's a much bigger picture of how to get to that. So this is good and bad. I think that uh, being fully creative to just design whatever you want doesn't always happen. But at the same time, it's kind of nice because there's a process of many steps that slowly morph the final design into what it is, which is a lot less paralyzing, I believe, than if you are given a site and said, okay, design whatever you want. It's kind of like, oh, okay, where do I start? So having a series of steps actually makes it easier to digest. It's like, so for example, one of the first times I got a full site with uh, a, a pretty big single family residence, well, it was a duplex and the owners, you know, wanted a certain amount of square footage and everything. And at first it felt kind of paralyzing, like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. This is a lot. What am I going to do? This is feels very overwhelming. And I had to remind myself, okay, we'll just start from the basics. Let's start with some bubble diagrams, some adjacencies. Um, what room wants to go with what? Where are the views? Where's the entrance? And you start with these really basic concepts of uh, adjacencies, site context, building codes, that sort of thing. And then you start morphing from there. So for me, I actually think that it's great because you it kind of helps you form these ideas. And then through through that, you can get creative and and um, you know, go one way or the other, which forms ends up forming the final design. But um, you kind of have like these parameters that help you along the way. So, what are the design phases? So you have pre-design, which is a conceptual design. And then you have, which uh, the pre-design isn't necessarily part of an architect's um, basic services. That is sometimes taken on by the architect if chosen as an additional service. But typically that can be done by the owner. And I will explain a little bit more why. So then you have the phase one schematic design. Phase two, design development. Phase three, construction documents. Phase four, construction bidding. And phase five, construction administration. So first with the pre-design, as I mentioned, this is not typically part of an architect's basic services um, because this is usually 
programming, um, budgeting, existing conditions, and this may be different for every project. So you may have a client who comes to you, or you may be the client, that you already have what your budget is, you already have your program, meaning you already have uh, like the square footage you want, you have the amount of rooms you want, and I'm, I'm probably going to be talking, referencing more residential architecture when I'm going through this, but obviously it works for any sort of architecture, but just for my examples, I'm going to be more talking about residential. So so those are the sort of things. You may even have existing drawings that were provided already because there was a remodel done not long ago. You may already have site analysis done. So those are the things that you would come to a designer with so that they can then start their first phase of schematic design. In my experience, I typically do take on some of the pre-design. The the parts of the pre-design that I am usually taking on are existing conditions and measurements. So a lot of times when a new client comes to work with me, they don't often have plans of the existing house drawn up already. So I will go in and uh, take existing measurements and get those set up. I usually also do a sort of site analysis. So with the site analysis, I look at the local conditions, the climate, the wind patterns, solar angles, the topography, um, looking for anything significant. So if there's a particular part of the property that has great views or maybe has not good views that you want to hide. Those are things that I usually look at diagram and that really helps form the final design. Hey everyone, a quick break to remind you that Mind Over ARE is open for only a few short days. So if you want to transform your exam process and get these exams done so you can be a licensed architect, then get in now while you can. I will put a link below, but again, it's dci.beyoungdesign.com slash mind dash over dash ARE. All right. I can't wait to see you in our next group. Enjoy the rest of the show. Programming and budget analysis. I don't typically involve myself too much in this uh, because this is kind of like a list of rooms, um, any major spaces that you want. Usually the clients that I have had so far will come with me already having an idea of what they want. And uh, then we also, in schematic design, kind of review those and, and, and morph those. Budget analysis, usually the client will have some sort of budget. I can typically work with them to let them know what that looks like in terms of what your scope of work is versus what your budget is isn't really in line. So we need to kind of adjust that. But with that said, you know, architects, design professionals, we're not contractors. We do, of course, have an idea of cost and budget, which is important for us to have. But it's also really helpful to get a contractor on board fairly early in the design so that we can make sure that we're not, you know, totally designing it out of budget, which 
you hear a lot of complaints often about architects just designing and and it's totally out of budget and then they have they have to totally redesign I really try to avoid that and so I do like to have a concept of the local um, prices the the current costs associated with construction uh, and I try to be transparent about it too with my clients because clients are are typically surprised with how much construction ends up costing. It's not cheap. And when I come to a client with my fee in the beginning, it's usually one of the earliest numbers that they see. And they usually can think, oh man, that's, you know, that's kind of a lot. Well, in the grand scheme of things, it's pennies compared to what construction ends up costing. So I like to give that transparency of if you want this beautiful, big, modern house and your budget is about half of what it's looking like, I want you to know that in the beginning. I don't want to have you excited and, and you know, worked up over this beautiful design that we come up with and then to find out, oh, I can't afford that because maybe some architects think, oh, well, they'll be able to just, you know figure it out. They'll make it work. But I think clear communication is really important. So that is part of the pre-design. And then again, the existing conditions kind of, as I mentioned, and also code analysis. It's always important to research the zoning and any sort of applicable codes to that property. And that is part of the pre-design. So some properties may have specific code restrictions if they're on the coast for example which is something I deal with a lot being down here on the coast uh, if specific projects have to go through coastal review which has other parameters so I like to analyze the site and the property to make sure that there's you know any sort of easements or overlays or anything like that is figured out in the beginning so that the owner has a clear idea of what to expect. Schedule is also part of the pre-design. I will typically give a rough idea of my schedule, consultant schedule, permitting schedule, but at the same time that is very variable because it depends on a lot of different things. It depends on the owner's ability to make quick decisions it's uh, based on just feedback. So say I submit the first round of designs, it may be a week or two until the client gets back to me with any you know decisions. And so that obviously prolongs the schedule, which can't be anticipated. Also, if there's a couple rounds of revisions, um, you know, there's there's items in there that can influence the schedule outside of our control. So I try to provide a schedule roughly and then go from there. Also with permitting, permitting is so unpredictable, especially right now during the pandemic. Um, At least here in San Diego, the city is moving towards more digital submissions. And with that comes trial and error and figuring it out. And oh man, it's been rough. So I never give an exact for permitting because you never know what that's going to be. And I will let you know that typically I have owners upset about the permitting phase because of how the city deals with it here in San Diego. I've even heard from other architects where 
one of like the worst cities to get a permit in. It's difficult. You have a lot of overturn in the city workers, the people reviewing the plans. And so you'll get someone who maybe is new and gives you a ton of different comments and then half of them are already on your plans. So it can be a headache. Permitting is a headache. This just go into it knowing, go into design knowing permitting is a headache and things are probably going to be a little bit more expensive than you ever thought. So what information is required by the owner at this stage, the very, very early stages? A site survey. So a site survey is basically a overlay of the site showing all the important things, the property boundaries, any specific roads or easements, um, the utilities, topography, any significant site features like big trees or existing structures. These are all really important, obviously, for a home addition or a new building. So the survey is always the responsibility of the owner. And ideally, as the owner, if you're going to be going and working with a designer, you get your survey done initially, and then you come to the designer. The designer can usually create like a, a rough site plan without a survey in the beginning, just based on certain site conditions. However, if you're going to be adding an addition, you're going to be doing a new construction, you're going to be getting anywhere close to the setbacks, you have to get a professional survey because property lines are invisible, they're arbitrary. So, you know, we can estimate, oh, well, this side of the house is five feet from the fence and the side setback is five feet. So we are assuming that this exterior wall is right at the setback. Well, who knows? Maybe the fence is actually one foot inside the property line and you can move out one foot or vice versa. So it's always good to come with that site survey. Uh, the other information required by the owners are any existing structural floor plans or floor plans. Uh, as I mentioned before, oftentimes these maybe aren't available, so we do go out and do site measurements. But if you do have existing floor plans, especially if they're stamped and permitted, those are wonderful. And any plans that are provided to us, to the designer, are the responsibility of the owner and we can we trust that they are accurate. Um, soils tests may be needed. It depends a lot of times on the site and also what you are proposing. So for example, I haven't been required to have too many soils tests. Um, if you're building on a steep slope, they will require a soils test. So it's always good to do like a pre-construction meeting with, or I mean a pre-design meeting with like the city and kind of find out what type of tests you may need. You can also just get that done later. And then also a list of any known restraint restrictions on the property, like easements. Sometimes there's a, you know, sometimes there's a utility easement in the back and your back setback is five feet, but you have a utility easement of six feet. So no matter what, even if you do have a setback of five feet, you still can't go within that easement. So things like that are really important. And then a copy of your deed and building record are also great. Um, 
in San Diego, my experience, the building record is needed when you go in for permits. If you have to go through historical review, historical review is on any house over 45 years, which here in San Diego, that's like almost all of them. (laughs) Not all of them, but a lot of them. So you need your building record anyways, no matter what. So it's good just to get it done before you're in the city. Okay, so that's kind of a synthesis of the pre-design. I know this is a lot of information. I hope it's interesting. (laughs) So phase one, the exciting part, is the schematic design. And so this is where kind of the rough shape of the building and the ideas are formed. This is where we take the program and we start sketching. And sketching in the schematic design may be really rough. It's um, overlays. The way I like to do my schematic is I will print out well actually I don't print anymore I do everything digital I will take the site plan and I will sketch over it kind of the beginning of my ideas so it's very diagrammatic I will do walkways in terms of paths of travel I will do um, any views and then that starts kind of narrowing down the idea and At this point, we also kind of create the story for the design. And in architecture, the story, what people call it often, is called a party. And it's P-A-R-T-I, kind of like a party. Um, And this is referenced often throughout the party because, I mean, often referenced throughout the project because this is like the narrative to the project. And if you have a good party, and you stick with that, then it really creates a cohesion. Because if during schematic design, you come up with this story for this house or party, and then you lose it along the way, sometimes there's a lack of cohesion. And it's just important for the design and the project to have integrity and have a story. And that sounds really arbitrary and kind of weird. But I think if you've gone through design and you look at some of the earliest sketches to what the final project is, if it's a good design, you can kind of see those references throughout the whole thing. And that party is kind of that seed idea that helps make decisions as the project does become more detailed and better defined because, as I was mentioning earlier, in each phase, the design becomes more detailed, more... um, finished. And so it it helps always to reference that. So for a client, for the end of this phase, what you can expect is uh, a schematic site plan and floor plans and also sketches. So for me, I typically like to present my schematic design in all sketch formats. I in all sketches, I do a sketched site plan that also shows some diagrammatic aspects on it, like sun, wind, um, path of travel, a sketched floor plan, sketched elevations in 3Ds. And by creating it in a sketch for the first phase is good because it shows that it's malleable. So I typically, for schematic design, like to come up with two to three options for my clients. And having them sketched, I have found is easier for my client to maybe express that they don't like something or they do like something and and they they feel like it is able to be changed. I find that once it's in a digital format, there's this change maybe in the brain that makes it feel more fixed. And so back in the past, I used to present schematic design more final looking where to me it wasn't final because I work digitally often anyways but 
as the viewer or the client, it felt more final. And I felt that it was harder for the owners to maybe make changes or to say, I don't like that. So now I've learned I do all, all my schematic design and sketches, which seems to work really well. So with schematic design, it's, it's not supposed to be like, this is what the final design is going to look like. It's, it's a process. So what I like to do is go over the three, two to three options and then have my client tell me, I like this. I like this. I don't like this. I like this. You know, what if we did this instead? And then we start developing that into a single option. So once we have those concepts, we'll move into design development and that will be the synthesis of all of those designs into one design. And that is when I typically bring things in digitally. I will then start presenting more digital with uh, a couple more 3D views I typically don't do any final looking renderings, honestly, until like construction has started because I find that they are actually not the most helpful because they're so, they can be so realistic. And I will talk more about that in a different episode, not on this one, just because we're already going to get along with this one. Um, So design development, like I said, it's becomes the synthesis of all the different um, design options. And it's also when we start looking at materials, finishes, uh, the overall palette, the structural, the the mechanical heating, lighting, any specialty controls, anything that's going to start forming um, the overall layout. With that said, uh, actual finishes like uh, colors, or specific products, that's not typically under an architect's scope of work. That is usually interior design, which we do offer and we love to do. It's just an additional service. What I mean when selecting materials is more so uh, this is going to be a a gypsum board finish with a paint and the floors will be a hardwood. The exterior will be a stucco finish Um, the roof is going to be asphalt shingles, that sort of thing. So not necessarily colors, but more of the architectural materials. So the design development phase in my experience actually goes fairly quickly. Uh, It is less time consuming than the schematic design because we already basically have the concept and now we're just starting to refine it and the type of drawings that will be going to the owner for the design development are digital and they're going to be the site plan your floor plans and it's going to look like it's going to start looking like a set of construction documents but less detailed and more conceptual so it will still have floor plans exterior elevations sections Um, sometimes interior elevations, depending on what you're doing. Like if I do a kitchen remodel or new kitchen, kitchen addition, I typically do interior elevations. Um, and then 
even structural concepts, lighting concepts, mechanical systems concepts, um, laying out the overall idea so that when we get to the construction documents, we can start refining that. Um, this also is a phase where we can start bringing on consultants, at least be able to send them what we're working on, see if there's any specialty consultants that are needing to be brought on, like um, an energy consultant, landscape or lighting, if there's a special mechanical professional that will need to be taken on. There's, this is also a great time for an interior designer to be brought on or to decide whether you're going to be adding an additional service for interior design because this is where all of these ideas are starting to form, but they're still malleable. They haven't gone through the construction documents, so things can still be morphed. So once we move into the construction documents, it's kind of like hands off now from the client and now it's time for the designer to just move full force on details. Ideally, there's no big changes like structural um, windows, that sort of thing, because that can alter all sorts of things, especially windows. I find that there's not much of an understanding of the impact of changing out a window from a client, but windows are a big deal. Windows not only affect the structural, they affect the mechanical, they affect the energy. So in California, we have to do a um, rep an energy report that's part of the Title 24. And with that is all the window specs. And so if, if they've started the energy report and then you change the fenestration, then that will affect the energy report. So it's kind of everything kind of affects each other. So it's really important that once you get into this construction document phase, most of those big decisions have been made and then are not altered. It's also good to have those done too, because sometimes changes will happen even during construction. And it is very common, but it is important to know that, like I said, like little changes like that or big changes or what seems like a little change is actually a big change and can affect a lot of other things. So then after we finalize the design development phase, we move into construction documents. So construction documents, we'll submit those plans to the consultants. Uh, and so, like I said, that's why it's important to have most of those decisions out of the way. The construction documents phase is basically creating all of the detailed set of drawings, all the notes required for permitting and for codes um, and for construction. The construction documents phase, as I mentioned, will require less input from the owner because um, most of the decisions have already been made. And it's time for the designer to just uh, buckle down and create those documents. So at the end of construction documents, you will have a set of drawings that are ready to be permitted and ready for construction. So at the end, you'll have a site plan, floor plans, exterior elevations, building sections, wall sections, door and window details and schedules, interior elevations, all sort of interior and exterior details, electrical and lighting plans, any specifications for the building, and then also a bunch of different schedules like door, window, 
if there's a lighting or finish or appliance or plumbing schedule, those um, there's certain ones that will be specific for different projects, but then there's also the general ones that will be on every project. So that pretty much wraps up the construction documents. So phase four is construction bidding. So this is a different phase than the other ones, but to be honest, it typically will occur alongside of the other phases. So as I mentioned, in, I think it was phase one or two, it's good to bring on a contractor during the early phases so that they can be working with us to review budget, make sure that it's in line. You can wait until you go in for permits for bidding, and it does depend on the contractor. Some contractors don't want to be bidding a schematic project because that means they're going to be bidding a ton of times and especially if it's a project that they don't already they're not already awarded then it's a little more difficult so that's why I actually like to bring on a contractor early on it forms a really good relationship um it's less stressful even more enjoyable because they can even help like oh you know what I noticed in the design development, this system won't really work because there's not enough space for this duct or whatever, you know, Um, and, and that's not necessarily the responsibility of the contractor. It's just something that they can sometimes notice or they can say, hey, I was bidding this, this and this. I, I saw you spec this sort of insulation, but it looks like this insulation is actually needed. So, again, um, that's not their role to call those things out but at the same time it having them on early asking certain questions can be helpful you know designers architects contractors all of us we are all human Um, construction documents are not meant to be perfect they are meant to be a set of drawings to be built on but you will never find a set of construction documents that are free from all errors. And it is important to form a really good relationship between the contractor and the designers, you know, whether that's architecture or whether that's the architects, the interior designers, all of them. You need a really good communication and correspondence between those people because errors or questions will come up. And if there's no communication between those, people start throwing each other under the bus or people start doing something different than what was the original intent. And there can create a lot of contention. If there's really good communication, the contractor calls me up. Hey, uh, we were just putting this together. This looks like there was a discrepancy because on this page it says this and on this page it says this. I say, oh my gosh, thank you so much for calling that out. I, we originally were going to go with this. We ended up doing this. I must have overlooked that one note. Thank you. Let me make that adjustment. I'll send it right over to you. Easy, no contention. (laughs) So I just, you know, bringing on a contractor early on, bringing on a contractor that has good integrity really can help the whole, um, experience be wonderful. And, It's important for the client to know that too, that building a house doesn't have to be this negative experience. Um, If there's a mutual respect and an investment into this project by all those working on it, knowing that we're all working towards the same goal to make a beautiful home that is safe, that, you know, everyone can enjoy or the owner can enjoy, but we can all enjoy, you know, driving by it in a year. 
if we can make that pleasant experience, it is better for literally everyone involved. So, um, if you, there's a couple different ways to bid a project. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into them. You can put bids out. Uh, so that would be not necessarily bringing on a specific contractor early on. You're sending out bids to a couple different contractors and then you can go with whatever one you want. Um, this has pros and cons. Uh, the pros are you can kind of validate the cost of the construction because you're looking amongst, you know, two or three or more different contractors and you're saying, well, that's weird. Why is this person so much higher than this person? This one's didn't even include this. So it is a good way to kind of create like a synthesis. Um, there's also some negatives to it. Uh, people, the contractors who maybe are low bidders may feel some pressure to compromise on the quality because they are the low bidder. Um, the owner may feel compelled to go with the low bidder, which isn't always a good thing. Sometimes a low bid may be because one area the project was not included and so it's actually missing. And so sometimes, not always the case, but sometimes some of the low bids end up having a lot of change orders, which can be more expensive in the long run. And it can lead to, you know, maybe not the most cohesive building process because there's change orders, because there's maybe finger pointing from the owner to the contractor or the contractor then um, you know, getting mad at the architect because then now there's a change order. So sometimes it can. It, do it doesn't always lead to that, but these are just some of the things to be aware of. Uh, there's also negotiated contracts, which a lot of people call time and materials or cost plus contracts. Um, these also have pros and cons. This is a little bit more what I was talking about before is bringing someone on earlier in the game and knowing what contractor you're going to be using. Um, the pros is, like I mentioned, it's just a little bit more collaborative. You develop this working relationship and process and trust during the design process. So they're on board early on. You're working through things. Um, you're saving time on the bid process because you're not sending it out to three different bidders who are taking three plus weeks to bid it. You, It's kind of go, go, go. It's kind of more during the whole process rather than a separate process. There's also a little bit more flexibility um, because changes in the design reflect the real cost, not necessarily like the low bidder who's making up for the low number, who's then creating change orders. Um, but there's also negatives too. I mean, um, there can be delays, uh, which can quickly increase overall building costs. Um, and there may be added changes later, which obviously because you're, it reflects the real time or because it reflects the real cost, then you're paying more, which maybe with the bid process, you wouldn't necessarily be. So there's pros and cons. And, uh, I think it's good to talk with your architect, your design professional, uh, during the process to see what would be best because some some options may even be better for certain projects. Okay, so the final design phase is phase five, construction administrations. So after construction begins, the 
architect or design professional typically acts as the on-site agent, which means they monitor process. They make sure that um, the building is in conformance with the contract documents, but we never tell the contractor how to do their work. We never tell them what means or methods to use. We are just simply making sure that it is being built towards according to the construction documents. And I believe, and I know a lot of architects believe, that this is a very crucial part of the process and we strongly advocate being involved during the construction. I know that there's some clients who feel like they could save a little money by not having the architect or design professional involved. They figure, well, you know, they they did the plans, now the contractor can take over. But there are a lot of pieces to the puzzle that if the architect is involved during the process, can save the homeowner a lot of headache. The construction process is pretty detailed. I mean, if a owner is walking through, they may not notice something that the architect would notice, like a flashing detail or a waterproofing detail. And it's important that the architect can walk the site and say before it gets too expensive. So the architect can walk the site and notice, hey, this uh, window header is not in the right location. Before you place that window, let's adjust that so that that's in the correct location. That may be an oversight that someone may not notice, like a, a homeowner, um, until after maybe the window's set or after the drywall's in. And then to adjust it at that point, much more expensive. So it's definitely to ensure that all the hard work we put into designing your home is executed properly and according to the drawings that we went through. And also with construction, there are things that may arise during construction that we just weren't able to anticipate. This is normal. As I mentioned before, a set of documents cannot be 100% perfect. So this is where I think a lot of contention can happen between the architect and contractor. The contractor, it's known that contractors are quick to put the architect under the bus because they are face-to-face with the owner every single day. And so if there is an issue or an error, it's easy to say, well, it wasn't on the plans, the architect didn't think it, blah, 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 which, yeah, I mean, I understand. But again, I'm going to say that there are items that come up that we just weren't able to draw correctly or anticipate during the construction document. So involving us in that construction administration to observe what is happening, we can seamlessly go over that. We can come to the site, point it out, have a drawing by the next day, and and, and be able to work it out before it's costly. So designers and contractors think differently, which is good and which is why you have the different trades on site. But it's important that the con- when the contractor is building that final product, the aesthetics and the thought behind the whole design isn't disregarded for maybe something that can just be done quickly. So it's important 
to have your architect be involved to make sure everything is executed wonderfully. So I typically will go meet on site during um, big stages of the project. So foundation and then framing. Um, I like to have the construction schedule so that I can be aware of when certain items are going to be happening. I know that construction schedules change and uh, are flexible, but um, I like to have that communication with the owner. I mean, with the contractor. So that is a rough overlook at the five phases of design plus the pre-design. So I hope that that helps you understand kind of um, the thought process of what goes into a design and also just um, what to expect from the different phases. So design takes time. Design takes uh, trial and error. So if you have a project that you're looking to do, it's important to know that it's going to be a process. It's not something that can be done overnight. And it's definitely a collaborative experience between the owner the designer, and eventually the contractor. So I hope this was valuable. I know this is a little bit longer and can maybe seem a little bit dry, but I find it informational. (laughs) I know that when I was starting off in design, I would have found uh, it helpful to kind of get a breakdown of what to expect. And even in architecture school, just to have a little bit of an idea of how the design process works. It is less intimidating when you have it broken down to know that it's a synthesis of ideas. So if you have any questions, please let me know. Again, I am on Instagram at beyoungdesign. You can find me on Facebook at beyoungdesign and at my website, beyoungdesign.com. Feel free to subscribe and review. It helps get this podcast a little more awareness so that people can find it. And if you found value, please let us know. If you have questions or would like any other content, please let us know as well. We're here for you. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. Before you head out, just a friendly reminder that once again, the doors for Mind Over Airy are officially open, but they will close soon so that we can get started with our next group. So jump in now. I can't wait to get started and I'm excited to meet you and hear all about your exam journey. Have a beautiful day.